We're in week five. I've lost track of what week I was in then. We're in week five of our series called True North. And uh, we're going to extend this series out another week uh, to, to make it a six-week series. So we're going to finish it next week. Um, but for this week, uh, we, we're back to Shackleton. Uh, here's our character that we looked at last week. We're looking at um, kind of the whole idea of how do you keep life centered? How do you keep true north uh, when you're going through life? You know, when you're in uncharted waters, when you're off the map, you know, when you've lost your sat-nav. How do you keep life centered? And uh, so we've been looking at some characters out of history as we've been going along this series as well. And so we began and we looked at Ernest Shackleton last week and uh, we're going to use him again for our fifth uh, compass and our final compass that we're going to kind of look at today. After his ship, the Endurance, got stuck in the ice, um, his only hope was South Georgia Island, which was 800 miles away across the most treacherous, brutal terrain that there is on the planet this was in, in the early 1900s, okay, and so this was incredibly difficult. They were to face bitter cold, icebergs, waves that were 70 feet high, and winds of 80 miles an hour. They only had one small boat, and so the lives of the 27 men were in the hands of the six men led by Shackleton as they headed out on this little boat after the big ship, the Endurance, was stuck in the ice. And our fifth compass is embodied in the life of Shackleton, but also in the name of his ship. His ship was called Endurance. Last week we looked at passion from the life of Shackleton, but this week we're looking at endurance. You see, if we want to navigate the waters uh, of life and stay true north, we will need the compass of endurance. We've looked at faith. We've looked at identity. We've looked at, uh, what else have we looked at? Character, thank you. We looked at passion. Uh, I did know. I was just testing you, okay? And today, uh, and today we're looking at endurance. You know, if we, we live, I think, in an endurance-averse world. If the going gets tough, we quit. Endurance is the ability to stick it out. The problem is with life and with endurance, when you are sticking it out, when you are trying to endure, how do you keep going? How do you get that fixed point of reference? As they set out, Frank Worsley, who was the navigator, he said this dead reckoning, which is the way of calculating where they were, um, in it became a case of guesswork. He said occasionally the sun smiled through and we would knew where we were, but most of the time it was impossible to know. And um, the only hope for survival, for enduring, is finding a fixed point of reference First explorers used land as that fixed point. Then they used the stars. And of course, the ultimate is the, is the thing called the North Star, the ultimate point of reference. Sectants and compasses gave way to modern technology, now GPS. The principle is exactly the same. The reference points for GPS are the 24 satellites that send signals, which the receiver uses to, to compute longitude, latitude, and even altitude. Well, I want to say to you this morning, and whether you're new to faith or not, whether you're exploring or whether you say you are a Christian, we have a North Star who's available to us, don't we? We have a fixed point of reference. We have something that enables us to stay true north. And he is the ultimate compass, the ultimate navigational tool. You see, ladies and gentlemen, there is a North Star and he has a name, Jesus. And you know, kind of like part of me when I was preparing this um, and thinking around there's Jesus at the center and life central and all of that, it just seems to kind of really come together. And part of me when I was preparing this um, and I was writing to that, there is a North Star and he has a name, Jesus. I kind of, as I was preparing it, I kind of got all black Pentecostal. Do you know what I mean? Because it's got kind of a rhythm to it. So I imagine myself this morning saying at various times, there is an, there is an all star and he has a name and everyone's saying, Jesus. Yeah. 
See, in my head, it was a whole lot different to that, okay? Um, because I imagine myself that the people were so excited about this incredible name of Jesus. And there's such a rhythm in this phrase that I'd say, there is an all-star and he has a name. Jesus! That's more like I was imagining it in my head. If you've not been with us over the last few weeks, we're looking at the book of Hebrews and Hebrews chapter 11. And within the story of Hebrews chapter 11 is a whole load of men and women who served God, who navigated incredibly uncharted waters, who, who stayed true north. And they had some compasses to uh, help them. And we looked at Abraham and the compass of faith. And then we looked at uh, Joseph and the compass of character. Uh, and then we looked at Moses and the compass of identity. And then last week we looked at David and the compass of passion. And today we're going to pick it up and, uh, and we look at something kind of slightly different really. We're going to look at the end of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 gives this whole catalogue of famous people and then it says there's a whole load of other people and we never know their names. But they're all men and women who stayed true north. And then it says in Hebrews 11, 39 to 40, these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now, in the Bible, the way it was written originally, they didn't have chapters. So, so if you read on in chapter 12 in our Bible, but, but if you read it down, so let me, let me go back. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... All these people that we've been speaking about the last few weeks and all these other nameless people. Let us, as in us, whoever the writer is writing to, but then projecting 2,000 years later, it's us. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. Or the other word is endurance. The race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer or the author and the perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Considered him who endured such opposition from sinful men, from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is one of the greatest bits of the whole Bible, isn't it? And many of you will know it. Um, but here comes our fifth and final compass, endurance. Three times in that passage there, those first three verses of Hebrews 12, the writer uses the word endurance or perseverance. It's the same kind of word or endure. You know, every journey, every adventure, every race has a test. And it's rarely at the beginning. It's always further on into, the, it's always an endurance test. It's later on when we're tired, when we're tough, when the finishing line seems far off. The word that's used in the original for race here is the Greek word agon. It's where we get the word agony from. It's a sense in that life is an agony. Life is a race, you know, and there's a test in that. And the test is endurance. If you know God today, if you are, you are called to run a race, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's cross country. It's, it's, it's a test of endurance. And if you're going to start well, that's fine. But if you're going to finish well, you're going to need the compass of endurance. Yes, we're going to need faith and character and identity and passion. But we're also going to need to back it up with the compass of endurance. Nothing great in life comes quickly or easily. It always has an endurance test. In 1968 at the Olympic Games in Mexico City, the marathon was being run. And all the, the runners had crossed the line and, and they'd finished. And an hour later, there's still a runner who's out there running. 
And uh, you might know the story. It's a famous guy. His name was John Stephen Aquari from Tanzania. He'd fallen often. He was limping badly, but he kept running. All the crowd had almost all but disappeared. Any of the crowd that were left were uh, uh, politely applauding because he kept going, even though everyone had finished. And then as, as, as they watched him keep going, they, they kind of got a little more into it. And they began to really egg him on and encourage him. And eventually he crossed the line like an, an hour or so after everyone else had gone home. And he said after in an interview this, my country didn't send me here to start the race. My country sent me to finish it. Isn't that amazing? See, we're not just called as Christians to start a race of following Jesus. We're called to finish it. Finishing well is so important, guys. So important. You and I know many people who started well. But finishing well is a whole different thing. I really want to finish well. really want to finish well. I want to be more in love with Jesus when I finish than when I began. I don't want to fade out. I don't want to start here and just kind of cling and just almost hobble over the line at the end. I want to finish really well. And if I am going to finish really well, I'm going to need endurance. Because it's really tough. It's agon. It's agony. The race is tough. And the differences between our race and a physical race are our race is individual. The writer says we're to run the race marked out for us. In other words, my race is not your race. Your race is not my race. It's an individual race. Secondly, this Christian race, this race of, of following Jesus, um, doesn't have com- competitors in it. We're not ra- racing against each other. We're only racing to please God. So we don't have that competition between us. But in each of these three verses in Hebrews 12, you see the word endurance or endure. And, and the Greek for this is a word picture. It implies somebody under the weight of something. That they're under the weight of something and they're staying under the weight of it until it's over. In, in other words, it's the idea of not looking for an opt-out or an easy option, but it's staying under until you get to the end, under the weight. Endurance is the capacity to stay in circumstances rather than to get out, to remain rather than to escape. This lady here, you may have heard this story as well, Florence Chadwick, she was a swimmer. And um, back, uh, back at, a long time ago, decades ago, she, she, she was a swimmer and she... Um, one, it was set out one day to uh, swim from the, the coast of California, 21 miles out to an island. And uh, it had never been done by a woman before. And it was a very, it's a very big thing to do. And um, the, the story goes that after 15 hours of swimming towards this island, the fog was so dense that eventually she gave up hope and she turned back. But as the fog lifted, she was minutes away from the island. She was minutes away from the island. And she said this, look, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen land, I know I could have made it. If I'd have had a, if I'd have had a fixed point, I know I could have made it. I know I could have endured if I could have just seen something. The fog had made her unable to see her goal and it felt to her like she was getting nowhere. But two months later, she tried again and the fog was just as dense, but this time she kept going. Her time was 13 hours and 47 minutes, breaking a 27-year-old record by more than two hours and becoming the first woman to ever complete that swim. It's an amazingly inspiring story, isn't it? But how many of you you know, like I do, that sometimes in life the fog seems so dense, doesn't it? Like you're in something, maybe you're in a marriage situation or you're in a family situation or a work or a health or something and it feels so dense and it makes you want to stop because you can't see But just that ability to endure and to keep going. Because any minute now, the fog will lift. And maybe you are closer to the destination than you imagine yourself to be. 
the writer that begins Hebrews 12 with this incredible um, encouragement and exhortation. It says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race. Let, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And, and of course, the image in your head is a racetrack and um, a stadium full of people cheering on, like armchair fans telling you how to do it. And um, it reminds me of, uh, I've told this story before, of a story that I'm not proud of, uh, but it does illustrate something. It's, um, and I, I don't want to use any football stories because I'm so depressed <laughs> by my football team at the moment. But a few years ago, uh, we were as bad as we are now, but we were in the big league a few years ago. I think we're going to be in the other, other league now. I think we're going down again, but we won't talk about it. It's only a game. Anyway, I was at Villa Park and I'm in the crowd and I, I'm quite, you can imagine, I am not a quiet football supporter. All right, I'm all the way through the whole of the game. I'm always talking and speaking and, and I was getting so wound up uh, at this one particular occasion. I'm not proud of this story, but there was one player on our team and every time he got the ball, it was just like bouncing off him. It was, it was just terrible and, and, and eventually I, I lost myself a little bit and I'm, I'm berating this guy. I mean, he didn't say anything bad, but I'm having a go at this guy and all of a sudden the woman next to me, she turns to me and she says, that's my nephew. Not a good moment. I'm not proud of it. That's my nephew, she says. And he's trying his best. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I didn't talk to her about God. I thought, now's not the time. Now's not the time to witness. Do you know what I mean? And so for the rest of the game, every time he got near the ball, oh, he's great. He's doing really... I'm like... And she's just like looking at me. I'm like, oh, my, it was so painful. But, but the, this phrase, a cloud of witnesses, isn't talking about armchair fans who think they know how to play it, but who can't. That's not what this phrase means. This phrase literally in the original language means there's a, you're surrounded by a crowd who bear witness that it can be done. These are people who've done it. They're people who have done it who say, hey, I know it's tough for you. I know there's fog. I know it looks like every ache in every bone in your body is about to break. And I know you can't hang on, but you can because I have and I know it can be done. And they're encouraged. They're not armchair fans who don't know how to play the game. They're people who've done it, who are saying, you can do it too. There's nothing extraordinary in me. And yet I did it. There's nothing extraordinary in you. So you can do it because there's something extraordinary in the God that you serve. And when he's in you, he can accomplish all things. And these are people like Abraham who's cheering on and saying, hey, you can do it. You can have the compass of faith. You can trust God when you can't even see what God's doing. Or like Joseph who says, you can do it. Just grab hold of that compass of character. You can do it. Or like Moses who says, hey, if you know who you are, if you've got identity, you can do it. I did it. I was a stuttering, you know, um, uh, inadequate person. I'm not, he said, but I know I am. If you know who you are, you can do it. And then there's David in the crowd saying, hey, if you've got passion, you can do it. I did it. I wasn't perfect, but I did it. They didn't, none of these people even knew the name of the ultimate compass, the ultimate North Star. Because there is a North Star and he has a name. Come on. And you see, none of these people knew that. And yet they did it. They did it. They ran the race well. And they didn't even know what we know and who we know. And before we look at how we're going to do it, let's just look at the challenges. The challenges to running this race. The writer highlights three challenges that we have if we're to stay true north. And the first one is discouragement. The writer says, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Discouragement is so, so there, isn't it? As part of our race, it's so what we have to deal with, discouragement. 
How many of you know and ever, ever known discouragement? Of course you have. Some of you will be sitting in discouragement right now. You were believing for something and it hasn't happened. You were hoping for something and you can't see it happening. It just feels like fog everywhere. And you're setting out for something and you think there's a destination, but you can't see it. You can't feel it. You can't smell it. You can't touch it. And you're sitting in discouragement. Life is tough. Series of setbacks and disappointments, not just in circumstances, but maybe also in people. That's one of the challenges that you and I have to face. One of the other challenges is distraction. The writer says, so let us throw off everything that hinders. And the picture here is of an athlete at the starting blocks. And he's throwing off the clothes that, 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 that he was wearing before. Not because they're illegal or anything like that, but because they're unhelpful. Because they're just going to distract him and they're going to hold him back and he doesn't need them. Distraction is one of the challenges. So for Abraham, he would have said, hey, I had to throw off comfort. And uh, Moses would have said, I had to throw off all the riches of Egypt. Joseph would have said, I had to throw off bitterness. Because I had bitterness because people had hurt me. My brothers had hurt me. But you know, that was a distraction. That was, I had to throw that weight off. And then I think the third challenge that comes out of this passage is even disqualification. The sin that so easily entangles. The stuff that entangles you. And that word entangles, it's kind of, it's kind of like, uh, like in seaweed that it gra- grips you around your ankles. And, and you don't feel it at first, but then it tightens and it tightens and it tightens. And eventually it pulls you down. 1988, in the Olympics again, um, in Seoul and Korea, Canadian Ben Johnson, some of you remember this story. He won the sprint gold and set a new Olympic record, but later tested positive for steroids. What happened? Well, he didn't lose his citizenship, but he did lose honour, reputation and reward. And what often happens in our lives is if we don't deal with the sin that so easily entangles, we get disqualified. It's not that we may lose our citizenship, but we do lose the honour and the respect, the reputation and the reward. So how do we run the race well? How do we endure? Uh, This is where it gets really good. As I've been preparing this, I've thought about these five different compasses of faith and of identity and character and passion and endurance. And then as I was reading through and as I went into Hebrews 12, it says, to me, it's all summed up in one word, Jesus. It's like when, I, when I'm in a situation and I can't think, now what was that compass again? And it's a little bit complicated, but actually, if I fix my eyes on Jesus, I'm going to stay true north. Because actually, there is an all-star and he has a name. Come on, you're still with me, that's good. You see, he is the embodiment of faith that we saw in Abraham. He was the one that trusted, not not to me, God, but I trust myself into your spirit. He is is the one that trusted in his father. He is the embodiment of character, like we looked at in Joseph, isn't it? You know, ultimate adversity and temptation and pressure and how he withstood that. He is the embodiment of identity. It says in John, uh, that bit where John washes the feet of the disciples, it says, um, John, he knew who he was, he knew where he'd come from, and he knew where he was going. Just one little phrase. He, he absolutely knew who he was. He knew where he'd come from, and he knew where he was going. He's the embodiment of identity. He's also the embodiment of passion, as you see on the death of the cross. But he's the embodiment of endurance, because the Bible says, Jesus, consider him who endured. He set his face like a flint. He kept going right through to the very end. He is our North Star. He is our fixed point of reference. He is our goal. He is our destination. He's our start. He's our finish. He's our middle. There's only one name you need, and his name is Jesus. Jesus. 
And, and I thought about this and I, I said, when, when the writer says, consider him, that phrase there, consider him, means think about his earthly life. That's kind of what it means, really. It doesn't just mean think about him in an ethereal sense, an abstract. It says, think about how he lived, what he taught, where he went, what he did, how he lived, how he interacted. Think about it. Consider him. And uh, th- there's, there's a phrase that, this is a phrase that describes the process of reflection and comparison. It's that as we consider him, as we think, how did Jesus do that? You know, years ago were those bracelets, some of you remember, what would Jesus do? And, and they, they were a plea to, to, to think about Jesus, consider him. How would he handle this? And the idea behind this is the longer you do that and the more you consider him, the more you become like him. Because there's something that is, you know, when I, when I say Alison as a name or David or, 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 or Luke or Julie, that's a name. But there's something about the name of Jesus, which is not just a noun. It's not just a name. There's a power in the name of Jesus. There's like, it's the creative word of God, isn't it? In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was a name. In the beginning was a voice. And it's the name Jesus. And when we speak the name of Jesus, not only are we talking about a person, an identity, but there's a power inherent in that name. And so the more we consider him, the more he lives in us. The Bible says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. It doesn't say Christ and you. You know, like here's Christ and here's and you and it's like an equal partnership. No, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's something powerful about the name of Jesus. And people who spend time with Jesus cannot help but become more like Jesus. So if you want to stay true north in life, We've got to spend time with Jesus. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. We've got to consider Jesus. And then we will become more like Jesus because he does that in us. It says in Acts chapter 4 verse 13, when the early Christians were arrested and they were brought before the Sanhedrin, the religious rulers, he said, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. There's like there's something impressive about these guys and it's not their education and it's not their ability and it's not this. It's that they've been with Jesus. They've spent time with him. And when you spend time with him, you become like him because he is our model of faith. The Bible says here he's the pioneer or the author and perfecter. That word pioneer, author also means originator or source, trailblazer or champion. The word perfecter means completer, finisher. We talk about in business, don't we? You know, are you a completer finisher? He is. Jesus was a completer finisher. He started it and he finished it. Listen to what it was said of Shackleton, the guy we talked about a while ago. It was certain that a man of such heroic mind and self-sacrificing nature as Shackleton would undertake the most difficult and dangerous task himself. He was in fact, listen to this, unable by nature to do otherwise. You talk about leadership. He, this is mind-blowing to me. He would undertake the most difficult and dangerous task himself. He was, in fact, unable by nature to do otherwise. Several years ago, I was in a, a meeting with a local authority, and a guy very high up in the local authority said, and I'm, I'm not being critical, but he said, I've come across a new concept. It's called servant leadership. <laughs> to which I wanted to say, mate, that is not new, and there is no other kind of leadership. Other than that. Because what you see in Shackleton 
was someone who, who he says by very nature had to do the most difficult stuff that he was asking his men to do. And it says this, being a born leader, he had to lead in the position of most danger, difficulty and responsibility. It says this, I've seen him turn pale and yet force himself into the post of greatest peril. That was his type of courage. He would do the job that he was most afraid of. That's inspiring in a man. But that is nothing compared to what we see in Jesus Christ. Because what Jesus endured and what Jesus went through makes Shackleton's trek across the Antarctic look like a walk in the park. Because the Bible said he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And we've got to understand that the cross is the ultimate endurance test. Not only of physical pain, but of emotional pain, of spiritual pain. In, talk about endurance being staying under a weight until it's finished. And Jesus did that because he endured the cross. Why did he do it? The Bible said, for the joy set before him. I'll explain that in a moment, but I want to say something to you. Endurance is the product of anticipated joy. Insurance is the product of anticipated joy. And if you are in danger of quitting on something, you need to anticipate the joy of what will happen when you don't. So can I, can, can I finish this? Can I get through this? You know, and I've often thought about it in terms of the whole building challenges that we've had over the last 11 years. Do you know what I mean? And the endurance that we as a church have stuck out with that and the giving and the sacrifice and the prayer. And we ain't giving up because of the anticipation of reaching more people. At the end of it. What's the joy? And the Bible said that him for the joy set before him he endured the cross. People endure for the anticipation of the joy ahead. So for Shackleton it was the joy of just achievement. You know for all these run, runners and racers. It's, it's, it's the joy of crossing the line. It's, it, it's the joy of getting on the podium and getting the gold medal. It, for that Tanzanian guy it was the joy of his nation saying hey we sent you not to start it but to finish it. He came in last by hours. But for him, the joy was pleasing his nation. What was the joy for Jesus? The Bible says that the joy for Jesus was you. Was you and was me. Why he endured the cross? So that he could sit down at the right hand of the Father was this. When he sat down at the right hand of the Father, he said to God the Father, I've done it. I've done it. It's finished. I've done it. So now we can know them. Now relationship can be restored. Now what was broken can be fixed. Now what was lost can be found. The joy set before Jesus was you and me. I think this is mind-blowing, don't you? The joy of knowing you. You know, we are saved by a single act of faith. We look to Jesus. We are sanctified. In other words, we become like him by a life of faith. Keep looking to Jesus. Do you understand that? So the joy of changing you. Jesus says, listen, the joy is that I can know you. But then the joy is this, that if you will endure and if you run this race with me, I'm going to get to change you. And I'm going to change you from one degree of glory to another and you'll become more and more like me. That's joy for me, Jesus says. And then, and I love this, the joy of presenting you to the Father. <laughs> Jude chapter 1, very obscure little book in the New Testament. Jude chapter 1 says this, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. It's like Jesus says, listen, the joy for me, why I went through the cross was so that I could know you in relationship. The joy for me was so that I could 
change you and you could become more like you, like me. And the joy for me is that one day to be able to present you complete and whole before the Father. That's joy. That's why he did it. What an incredible God. And so the key to staying true north, folks, and we're coming into land, the key to staying true north, the key to endurance is to fix our eyes on him. And if you don't know what else to do, and you can't grasp a compass of faith or identity or any of those, just say Jesus. Just consider him. Just fix your eyes on him. And here's the revelation that I've had. It's not your endurance that is the key. It's his. It's not your endurance that's the key. It's his. He endured for the joy of knowing you, presenting you, sanctifying you. It's his endurance that's the key, not yours. So if you're feeling weak and weary this morning, don't run harder. Consider him. Don't try harder. Consider him. It's not your endurance the key. It's his. We need to rest in the endurance of Christ. I'm going to ask the guys if they'll come back. Because folks, there is an all-star and he has a name. And you know, on Tuesday, I was uh, preparing this, and this was a real moment for me. Um, it was February the 7th on, on Tuesday, and I was in a coffee shop, and I was preparing this talk. And then I remembered, uh, the date's important, and I remembered a story, which many of you will have heard, and, and a running story of um, what happened in the uh, Olympics in Barcelona in 1992, at the 400-meter semifinal with our runner, Derek Redmond. And I began to watch a video of the story. And, then, and, and the story goes like this. And Ben, if you can start playing for me, thanks. The story goes that, that Derek Redmond, who was an amazing runner, and, uh, and he got so far and all of our, our sights and hopes were fixed on him, uh, you know, in terms of, of, of winning a gold medal. And um, at the 400 meter semi-final, uh, he's running and he's running really well. And then as I watched the video, it reminded me of the story. And the reason I got... A, the reason it affected me so much was February the 7th would have been my dad's birthday. So you have to stick with me. And this is why it was so important. Um, and because um, my dad passed away seven years ago, as many of you know. And, and as I was watching the video, um, Derek Redmond runs around. He's in the lead and he runs around at the bend, a, a corner, and he pulls his hamstring, tears his hamstring, limping badly, hits the floor. And as he hits the floor, the runners all go past him and the, he's gone. But he gets up. And, and, and you can just see the agony in his face as he keeps running, hobbling, limping through. So he's enduring. He's limping, but he's going to cross, cross the line. He's not going to win the race, but he's going to cross the line. But what the most Im impacting bit of it was, that there's this big guy that pushes his way through the crowd. He's got a cap on and a white T-shirt. He pushes his way through the crowd and the security guards try and stop him, but they can't. Because this is, this is Derek Redmond's father, Jim. And, and the, the security guards are not going to stop this guy because his son is in trouble and the dad is not going to stay in the crowd, but he's going to get on the track and he gets on the track and he kneels down and he picks him up. And he said to him, apparently, he said, you don't have to finish this son. You don't have to finish this son. And his son says, I want to. And he says, well, if you're going to, then we're going to do it together. And it's such a fantastic moment when you see this father with his arm around this son crossing the finishing line together. And as I watch that again, I'm in the coffee shop. It's the day of my dad's birthday. I'm bawling like a baby. People in the coffee shop are like, whoa, what's going on with you? Do you know what I mean? But I just thought, not only is I knew my dad was like that, but I know my dad is always like that. And so maybe this morning, maybe this morning, some of you are growing weary and losing heart. Maybe for some of you this morning, the fog is so dense 
that you cannot see the goal and you're about to give up and you're about to quit, I want you to know your dad, your heavenly father will not stay sitting on his hands but he will get on the track with you and he will run it with you because it's not your endurance that's the key, it's his. So consider him this morning. There is an all-star and he has a name. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Let's pray. In a moment, we're going to take communion together. But I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If there's any of you and you, you know right now, that's you. You are growing weary and losing heart. And you need so much to experience that embrace of the Father. You need to know that God is a God that is there for you. You need to consider Him again today. Maybe you need just to, to say, hey, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit, but I can know that I can't do it on my own and I need Him. If that's you, I want to ask you just to stand with me this morning. Just stand and we want to just pray for you this morning. If that's you, would you stand? We want to pray for you this morning. Bless you guys. Bless you guys. Maybe if you sat near one of these guys that's standing, just reach your hand out. Would you do that? And just put your hand on their shoulder and let's just pray for them. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, God, that you are a God who loves us. God, you're a God who's there for us. And God, we just pray right now for strength in Jesus' name to these guys and girls. Lord, supernatural strength. God, as we consider him, your endurance, your passion. God, we, we just say, God, would you fill them with your presence and with your spirit. Lord, I pray that they would know that they're not running alone. They would know that they're not running alone. They would know, God, that you are with them. And God, you said that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. What you've started, you will finish. So God, would you run the race with them, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand together?